I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, and it'll begin uh, verse 45 and beyond. Let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Father in heaven, you are a good God, a God who doesn't just make us and leave us. Instead, you have pursued us and you have made a way for us to be made right with you. You have spoken to us in your word, and we just, as, as we come this morning to your word, we just pray you would open our eyes to see wonderful things. You would open our hearts to uh, feel and experience and know. You would allow our hearts to respond in uh, obedience, respond in glory, respond in awe and worship. As you so rightly deserve, oh God, we thank you that you speak to us, and we pray now for um, help to understand and help to um, just, yeah, benefit from our time in the Word together. We pray this for your honor, in Christ's name, amen. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 45, hear God's Word. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, uh, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, and he said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land in the uh, Gerenset and moored on the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that he might touch, uh, that they might touch him, even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched were made well. This is God's word. So this comes out of the situation where they had uh, just uh, experienced the feeding of the 5,000 men and women and children, plus women and children, with the loaves and the fish. And here, verse 45, it says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. Now, if you remember, the disciples had the idea, like, to just send the people away already. Like, the day was getting on, and, and they were getting hungry, and the disciples were already hungry, we knew that, and... They had implored him, say, hey, why don't you just send the crowds away to go get food? We can be replenished and maybe come back, start this thing tomorrow. And instead, Jesus has them all sit down and he performs this miracle of the loaves and the fish multiplying so that they were all satisfied. And then it says, that was it. And then he sent them back in. It's so interesting because it's not like he needed them there for more teaching later on or in the morning, like stick around so there's more to come. 
The teaching was in what he did. It was to show the power that he had over the creation, including the bread and the fish. What he would multiply there was satisfaction found only from him as the main source. And here, immediately, he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. He, he said, get in the boat and go. And what did they do? They obeyed. They obeyed. And it's so interesting that they would obey uh, when, you know, there obviously was more to do because he carried on and he dismissed the crowd. He sent people home and uh, said, we'll see you later. And after he had taken leave of them, verse 48, or 46 says, sorry, he went up the mountain to pray. He went up to the, pr- the mountain to pray. He he dispersed everyone, the disciples, the crowd. Imagine the size of that crowd. And, and I don't know if you've ever left like a concert venue and how long it takes to disperse after something like that or a, a sports game. Uh, these people are literally like a flock of people now dispersing. And he's going to find alone time. These people were after him at every chance they got. The people were after Jesus. Well, what do you mean disperse me? I didn't get healed today. Well, like, let me just follow that guy up the mountain. But instead, uh, that might have been another miracle that they actually dispersed. And he had alone time. It was rare. But he sought it for an intentional purpose to pray. He went up the mountain. He had much to do. Many people uh, needed him. But he needed the time to converse with the Father. To spend time in in union with God. As we do, we need that time, no matter how busy we are in the day-to-day in life, we need that time of solitude, of alone time with God, where we can just be alone. We're in a world so full of noise. From every angle. You carry a thing in your pockets, it's just noise, noise, noise. There's always something new. We never get time to slow down, to not empty our minds and think about nothing, but to focus with our alone time with God. He went up the mountain to pray. It's interesting because we don't know precisely what time it was that he dismissed the disciples, what time it was he dismissed the crowd. But then it was clearly before evening in a sense because verse 47 tells us, and when evening came, so evening had not come yet, The boat was out in the sea, and he was alone on the land. So they had obeyed, they were out on the sea, and he had finally gotten alone to accomplish his purpose up the mountain to pray. And look at verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking by the sea. So the fourth watch of the night is 3 to 6 a.m. That's the fourth watch of the night. So it was still daytime when he dismissed. It wasn't even evening yet when he dismissed the disciples, dismissed the crowd. And now he spent time praying from then until at least 3 a.m. when he went out. Could have been four or five But he spent all that time in prayer. And what's so interesting to me about Jesus in prayer is it's not that he needed to ask for anything like you and I. You know, we might be in such a desperate situation that 
We are begging God for help or for clarity or for anything that we may ask of him. Jesus need not ask the Father for anything. It was all at Jesus' command. What was he doing in prayer for those many hours? Incredible that he, he didn't just want a, a prayer team there with him. As he, At other times, he took some disciples nearby to pray, and he told them to pray. But instead, this time he said, you go ahead of me. There's something I want you to experience again. Remember, before when he sent his disciples on the boat across the sea, what happened? Well, he was sleeping in the belly of the boat, and a storm came. At that storm, they thought they were going to die. They thought they were going to die, and, and they came to him terrified, woke him up and said, don't you care that we're going to perish? And instead of answering their accusation, he calmed the wind and the waves. He displayed to them the power he had even over creation. There he displayed himself in a real way. He was with them. Though they had felt he had abandoned them and they did, that he didn't care for them, he was with them. Though he delayed his help, though he delayed coming to the rescue, he didn't make them avoid the storm. He didn't make them avoid going through the fear of death. And yet he pulled through and, and, and he was there in his time. Now in the same way, his disciples are now out on the sea. This time, he's not with them. And they, it says, uh, there in verse 48, they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. It was painful. They had been painfully rowing from at least 6, 7 p.m. And now it's 3 in the morning. And they're still painfully rowing. The wind was against them. And though they could not see Jesus, he saw them. They couldn't see him. It was dark. They were on the water. Rowing. Just focusing on trying to get to safety. To land. This was hard and it says there in verse 48 he saw he saw them he he noticed them he saw their struggle of course he saw their struggle and of course he knew that that struggle would take place when he sent them across the water to begin with and that's a beautiful reminder for us is you know the storms in life that we experience uh, he sees them even though we cannot see him and we're just plowing on, he sees us, and he, he cares in the same way that he did for his disciples here. He, he needed this time with his father. He needed time alone, time to recharge, time to rest, time for just, uh, just communion with the father, and yet he noticed his disciples. He's still thinking about the ones that he loves. He sees them struggling he didn't stop the struggle before it happened. He didn't stop it earlier. They'd been making headway for hours and hours and hours. He didn't stop it earlier. And it's interesting because he could have just sat there on the shore and he himself could have said, all right, wind, knock it off. Just stop. Let them have an easy rest of the row. And he didn't. He didn't stop the wind. He didn't stop the waves that were crashing against their boat. He didn't stop the storm. We don't necessarily know it was a storm here, but like crazy waves that were making it hard for them to row. He didn't stop it when we know he could have. He spoke to the wind before. He could have done it again. But he chose to allow them to struggle through. 
And then, interesting, even further, is when he came to them, walking by sea, the end of verse 48, uh, he meant to pass by them. What? He meant to just keep on going right by them. They're struggling and they're rowing. And he meant to just walk right on by. They're struggling to row, but yet he has no problem walking on top of this water. Think of the contrast there. They're in a boat designed for water. They are fishermen who have done this for who knows how many years. And Jesus, a carpenter, is now defying gravity, defying the laws of nature, walking on wavy and windy water. Just walking. And he meant to walk by. He intended to walk right by, to pass by them. The language in the original Greek gives us the same imagery of when God walked by Moses, when he passed by, or when he passed by Elijah, where he said, I'm going to show you my glory. Right? Moses said, show me your glory. And he said, okay, but you can't see me. And all he saw was him pass by. And same with Elijah, when he said, I'm going to hide you behind the, 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 the rock as I pass by. You're going to see my glory. And here, the language reminds us of that as Jesus intends to pass by them, display his glory to them in the midst of their struggle. Because at this point, what had they seen? They're human. They're like you and I. They saw right in front of their face and that's it. There is no indication, there is no uh, text here that tells us they cried out for help. There's no text here that tells us they prayed. There's a text here that tells us they struggled with their human strength to get through and paddle and keep on uh, oaring and oaring over and over. It's interesting. And so then he intends to pass by. It's incredible to think, him walking on water, right? Like, we, I don't know whether, it's so hard to believe. So many people don't believe it. Obviously, it's a miracle. And this, in, in Matthew's account, is where, when he finally gets to the boat, where Peter says, invite me out. Invite me out. And so, it's interesting that Mark doesn't record it, uh, or John. And it, it's, it's said that Mark, in writing his gospel, was influenced by Peter's ministry. That he just kind of was capturing what Peter had experienced of Jesus. And so... Maybe Peter didn't want that account written down. His, whether it was his, his humility didn't want you know, people to exalt him, or his pride didn't want people to look at his lack of faith in the moment. We don't know why Mark did not record uh, the, the Peter account, but we do know that that's not the point. That's not the point. He, Peter's not the main character of that story. So many people make it about Peter, and Peter's faith, and Peter this. It's not about Peter. It's clearly about Jesus. And what was Jesus doing? Jesus was allowing his disciples through hardship. Jesus was watching his disciples. Jesus had never left his disciples, and he would never forsake his disciples. But he intended to pass by them, to, to show his glory, to show his, his power. And what? Allow them to keep struggling until morning? It's incredible to think about the complexity of this story. But the beauty of it as well, the heart of Jesus in it all, he, in caring for all those people and feeding them, not wanting to send them away and put burdens on them, he had multiplied this food so they would be satisfied, learning just a bit about how God satisfies us, but not just with the bread from heaven, a physical bread, but he himself, 
satisfies. And now to see his disciples, and that's the interesting thing is like, did none of these other people need to take boats to get where they were going? Here we only hear of the disciples. It's only focused on their boat and their struggle. But you see, the main person of the story is Jesus. As you go through this text, it's all about he. He made his disciples to go before him to their side. Well, he dismissed the crowd. He had taken leave of them. He went up the mountain to pray. And he was alone. He saw them. And he uh, walked on the sea. He meant to pass by them. They saw him walking on the sea. It's all about him. The, the, this struggle and your struggles are not about us. The storms that we face, the trials, the things that we have to really push through, where we maybe think, is he even here? I wonder if at that point they've been thinking, again, does he even care? Why did he send us out here alone? I wonder if they were uh, recalling in their mind the last time he just calmed the waves, and if they thought, if he was just on the boat, he could chill out the storm again. What were they thinking? What was going through their mind other than like, Come on, we just got to get there. Jesus told us to go. Or did they regret obeying? Like, they don't know why they're going to the other side. They have no clue. Jesus has told them to get on the boat and go. And so they did. And you see the reward for their obedience? So interesting. Oftentimes we think if we just do for God, then he's going to reward us with ease and comfort and blessing. It should be easy now, God. I obeyed you, right? We sometimes assume in our hearts, if I, if I just go to church, why am I experiencing this? If I, if I just give of my life sacrificially to you, why do I feel so in, in need? We just think that God should reward our obedience with ultimate earthly blessings. It's not the case, as we see here. Their obedience resulted in a trial that Jesus had intended for them. Their obedience led to pain led to a struggle. Anywhere from six to nine hours, they were rowing hard against this wind. Through the middle of the night, like they were exhausted. We already learned before the story of the feeding of the 5,000, they were already exhausted. They were already hungry. Jesus told them, come and rest a while. You need to be restored. You need food. They had not eaten all day, it says. They had no time for rest or leisure, the text told us. But then they got interrupted by the crowd. So they were about to finally settle down and get some rest after serving and serving and serving. And they didn't get rest. There's no rest for the weary. And then they served these thousands of people. And now Jesus tells them, go to the other side. And now they are slugging away against these waves and this wind. That's the reward they get for serving him. How many of us would think that way? I've done this my whole life. I've gone to church my whole life. How come I'm living like this? How come this is happening to me? I've heard that many times. I'm sure you have too. May we never feel that way. May we always remember that Jesus himself has, has allowed us, has actually commanded this. Go. You think he was unaware of the storm? You think he wasn't in control even of that storm? Of course he was. And yet... This is the, the path that he had chosen for them. What path has he chosen for you? Because if you are so blind and so naive to think that the path he has chosen for you is paved with gold from here into eternity, you are naive and you need to read the scripture. 
You need to read the text again and again. You see the struggle of the disciples from day one until the day that Peter was crucified upside down. The, the way that is narrow is not easy. You need to read the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, and, and see all the allegory of the pain and the struggle and the trial that Christian goes through. The Christian life is never promised to be easy. Jesus promised trials will come, but he also promised, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So though his disciples experiencing this trial, experiencing this storm, he sees them. He sees them and he, he cares for them. So then he defies all laws of nature to go to them, though, because it says there uh, in verse 48, interestingly, right? It says, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking by sea, walking on the sea. He came to them, but yet had intended to pass by them. Almost like, you need to see me. You need to notice me, that I'm here, that I see you. I notice you in your struggle. He intended to pass by them, but look at verse 49. When they saw him walking on the sea, what, why didn't they recognize him? They thought it was a ghost. So they had seen something clear enough, near enough, to not just go, oh, that's some reflection or something of the moon. They saw something to know, well, that's like a human form or something, to be terrified. Why didn't they recognize it as Jesus? There's a couple of theories, obviously. One is that they weren't looking for Jesus. They just couldn't see him because they weren't looking for him. One is that his glory was shining, displaying the beauty of his majesty and his character. Why didn't they see him? But instead, they thought they saw a ghost. Verse 49 says, they cried out. And verse 50 is interesting, for they all saw him. It wasn't just like, Peter's tripping because he's overtired. And it's like, no, guys, guys, I seriously, I saw something out there. I'm just going to get out of the boat now. And they're like, Peter, don't do it. They all saw him. They were all terrified. They didn't know what it was out there. But immediately, he, he knew their fear. He knew exactly the turmoil they were in, not only in the, in the struggle against the storm or these waves, but in their, now in their hearts. They were terrified. They had fear. What were they so afraid of? Like, what, what? They weren't afraid of the storm. It, there's no indication that they were afraid of the waves or the struggle they were having in the boat. There's no indication that that's what they were afraid of. They were afraid of this figure, this ghost in their mind. What were they afraid of? Why are you afraid of ghosts? It's interesting, right? Are you afraid of ghosts? We know the ghosts don't hurt us or they're not real. What do you tell kids, right? Like, why were these men afraid of this ghost? That's not what mattered. What matters is Jesus saw their fear. He saw that they were terrified. And it says there in the second half of verse 50, immediately he spoke to them. He said, take heart. Take heart, it is I. I am. Do not be afraid. It is I. He didn't say, it's me, Jesus. He declared himself, I am. I am. The great I am is here. Take heart. Rest easy. Be assured that all is well. I see you. I am near you. I am here. He says, do not be afraid. He commands them to, to cease fearing and trust and have faith. Take heart. It is I. 
What comfort does that give to you and me as we are reminded in the midst of our storm? Do we, do we not see Jesus because we're not looking for him? Do we only see the boogeyman? The struggle that's in front of us, the thing that terrifies us, financial crisis, marital crisis, whatever it is, the economic crisis, war, disease, health crisis, is that all we see? Or do we see Jesus? And do we hear him say that I won't leave you and I will not forsake you? Do you hear me? It, take heart, I am here. It is I, do not be afraid. What you see here and now is not all there is, but I am. I am, I have been always and I will be forever and you will be with me and I'll never leave you. Take heart. And then, interesting, because other times that he says that, is, take heart, I have overcome the world. Anything that you may be worried about, whether it is a storm or anything, he has overcome it, even if it overcomes you. Things in this life, that's no promise that everything's going to get better. Just because he's near doesn't mean it's going to stop, right? We go through so many things that he allows us to experience hard things, and they don't always stop. But as when the Apostle Paul was praying about the thorn in his flesh, the pain, the experience, what he was going through that he wanted to remove, something that was painful and a trial in his life, God's answer was no. That thing will not be removed. The thing that torments you will not be taken away. You will still be tor tormented till the day you die. God's answer was no. He said, but my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul's response was, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of God might be displayed in me. It's incredible. God's answer was, no, the trial won't stop. But... I have something greater. It kind of reminds me of when uh, Peter and the disciples come to the man and they say, we don't have money for you, but we have something greater for you. We have uh, faith that you can believe in God and his power to change your life. Here, Jesus says, take heart. Don't be afraid because it's me. Incredibly, the storm and the waves and the wind had not stopped yet. They hadn't even stopped yet. He's telling them, don't be afraid. Uh, clearly, I'm not a ghost. It's me. But your trial still hasn't even stopped. Just take heart. I'm here. Verse 51 says, and then he got into the boat with them, and then the wind ceased. But the wind was still crashing. The waves against the boat, all while he's standing there on the water, telling them, take heart. And as we know from Matthew, the, the account of Peter, where he says, obviously we have to look to Jesus. We take our eyes off of Jesus, we sink. Jesus is the one who upholds us. And he says, don't be afraid. All that is surrounding you, all that you think is going to uh, end who you are, it may take your life, but it won't take you. There's so many things in this world that could take your life. So don't be afraid of them. Do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them. Remember, he had intended to pass by so they may see his glory, that they may continue in their, their own efforts. But instead, he got in the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. The reason they were astounded, verse 52 tells us, is because or for 
They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. And you think, how could these disciples experience all that they did in a day and yet their hearts still be hardened toward him in disbelief? And their, their knowledge still not be there. They didn't understand. How could that be? If you question the disciples, then you stop for a moment and say, I'm the exact same way. I can look through my entire life and see where Jesus and God has been active in me and for me and to me and through me and yet still doubt and yet still focus on myself and yet still be afraid. How, how could I? Well, it's because our hearts are hardened when we take our eyes off of him. Take heart, he says, it is I. So notice me. Look at me. Focus on me. I am. Everything else will cease to be. Don't let your hearts be hardened. And then they crossed over and they came to the land. And again, he poured himself out for many more people. So many times you and I might think when we're in the midst of a storm that he doesn't see us. He does. Though they could not see him and they could only see what was in front of them and the task they had to press on, incredibly, this was all because they obeyed. So when you and I obey and we are faced with a storm, what do we do? Do we respond as the disciples and just keep pressing on as we ought? Because if they had stopped rowing or they said, let's go back, they would technically be disobeying him, right? He said, get in the boat, go to the other side. So they were intending to obey him, which was great. But they were, in the midst of it, just relying on their own strength to obey. Do you do that? I do that. Relying on my own strength to obey and, and ending up hours and hours and hours into something exhausted and terrified when I see what might face me. Was it because they were overtired? They were terrified of some ghost? I don't know. What we do know is that during that time, they needed him and they felt maybe abandoned by him. But he had not left them. Instead, he was communing with the Father up the mountain to pray, the most important priority for Jesus at that time. But yet, he had not forgotten his disciples. He saw them. He didn't just leave them. He didn't just say, let them just struggle it through. I know sometimes as a parent, you've got to determine if you're just going to let your kids struggle through that thing so they may learn or learn their lesson. That's what parents do. And Jesus obviously did that for hours. Six to nine hours they were out there struggling. He allowed the struggle. He didn't eliminate the struggle. So remember that in your own life. The struggles. Is God not aware? Does God not care? And then remember, remember Jesus on the mountainside praying. Remember him, okay? When you go through a trial, remember the disciples in the midst of this struggle. And where was Jesus? He had not left them and he has not left you. He was instead communing with the Father as he does right now. He is interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father, day in and day out. <clears throat> Praying for us when we don't know what to pray for, when we neglect prayer as the disciples likely did at this point. They didn't seem to ask God for help. It's not indicated in the text. So was Jesus on the mountain praying for their strength? Was he praying that they wouldn't um, just be overcome in that storm? <clears throat> Jesus, right now for us, is, is praying for us. Whatever storm you may be going through or heading into you, Jesus is praying. He's there with God, in communion with God, praying for you, and he sees you. 
and he'll come to you. And he'll say to you, take heart, it is I. Be reminded of who he is. And that's the amazing thing, is what he has already done that they have seen. What he's already done that you've seen. Not only in the testimony of scripture, but the testimony of your life for the lives of those around you. What have you seen God do before? And have you forgotten it? Are you not reminded of it in a moment that he does sustain through whatever it may be? Take heart at his eye. Remember me, is what he's saying. Remember who I am, what I have done, what is coming. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then remember that he, he gets in there with them. Could have carried on passing by. Could have let them struggle. Say, I'll meet you there. Clearly I'm making a lot more headway than you are. It's not painful for me. That's incredible. The, the storm that you think is going to overwhelm didn't even phase Jesus. He walked right on top of it. It was the very storm of the very waves that he literally used as a pathway to his disciples. The very thing that you're going through doesn't phase Jesus one bit. It's not a trial to him. It's not a struggle for him. So call on him. Say, come with me. Meet me here. I am struggling in the midst of this. Pray to him. Call out. Rather than looking around at the boogeyman, look for Christ. Look at where he is in your storm and in your, in your trial and call him to come with you, to calm you. Be not afraid. Let the wind cease if that be your will, but if it's not your will, strengthen me. If it's your will to just allow me to struggle through this in, in order to obey you, just be with me. Let me know your, who you are and where you are. And even if he doesn't do that explicitly, even if you don't just have a real sense of his presence, remember that's why we have the testimony of the scripture. That's why we have other Christians surrounding us. Is because we often forget, and especially in the midst of his trial, right? Things are dark. It is hard to see in the dark until someone reminds us where the light is. Until they show us where the light is. It's in Christ. He says, it is I. He's reminding them of who he is. And that's incredible because uh, we begin to see kind of a shift in the disciples' understanding of Jesus and, and their He's already uh, expressed lots of um, miracles to them, but now they're beginning to see him as more than a prophet. They're beginning to see him really, early on, right, when he calmed the wind and the waves, they're like, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Beginning to see more and more as he's displaying his glory to them in, in little ways, it is I, I am. As he does that for you, as you read this, the text every day, we don't have Jesus walking with us physically, going to, to the appointment with you, going through your trials with you, in that argument with you. But we do have him. We have him in the text every single day. We have him in our hearts, and the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. That's the whole job of the Holy Spirit to us, is to remind us and to testify us, to, to tell us the truth about Jesus, that he's there with us and for us. He's not against us. Incredible reminders this morning from this story where yes Jesus walked on water but is that the point Joel Osteen once said that uh, Jesus followers can pretty much walk on water too and in a literal sense and he did a whole display at his church about it uh, you can look it up and it's it's sad and it's disgusting because he thought that was the point he missed the point 
Jesus is the point. Not the water, not the miracle, not the storm, not the disciples. It's Jesus and who he is and what he's able to do, not just with the wind, but in their hearts. What did he do for them but satisfy them as well? He just finished satisfying the hunger of the crowd, reminding them that he is the bread that satisfies eternally, and here, again, satisfying their, their great need. And he brings them safely to the other side, just as he does for you and me. It may not mean the storm never ceases, but he will bring us to the shore, the celestial shore. He'll bring us there safely, even though the boat may be battered, even though you may be bruised, he'll bring you and he will care for you for eternity. Let us never forget how Jesus was in this story. And it's not just for the disciples. It's for you and for me, even today. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who is um, so aware of our situations. You are more aware of what's going on in our lives and in our hearts than even we are. You know what tomorrow holds for every situation we face. You know the storms that we are in or we will be in, and yet you are not um, oblivious to them. You see us. You know the experience we're going through. You know the pain. You know the struggle. You see us, and you come to us at the right time. We thank you for your sense of timing. God, if it was up to us, we would, uh, we would just rely too much on maybe miracles or maybe uh, signs or wonders or things of this earth. We want so much satisfaction here, God. Let us be ultimately satisfied in you. Thank you for the trials and the tests you allow us to go through as you did your disciples so that we may look to you. Thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace to us from now until we see you again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.